Good morning, Calvary. It's good to see you today. We think we have the microphone things uh, issues figured out for this week. We're glad you're here. As we start um, today and continue on with the series, I just want to start with a little challenge, if I may. I want to start with a little challenge today and next week. We are into a time of post-pandemic habits. In other words, while the pandemic may or may not be still raging, depending on who you ask, and I know everybody has strong views on that, the reality of what we've done is we've gone back into a new normal. And I want to kind of challenge the new normal a little bit, if I may. See, right here we have a saying that followers make followers of Jesus. And one of the ways we express that is followers share what they followers share what they know. And so I want to encourage you this week to engage the world around you with the good news of Jesus. But I understand that some of you are like, oh, I don't know what that looks like, and I'm an introvert, and all these kind of realities. But here's my prayer for you, that you will find one person that the Spirit will stir in your heart so much that as you go to sleep, you'll be burdened for them. That it's, it's not just about inviting someone to church. There's a lot of good churches around. But it's that engaging them with the, the story of the gospel so that in a, a time of darkness, they can have hope. In a time of joy, um, they can find even more joy because they're learning to trust in God. So here's my prayer to you, that you would be uncomfortable this week helping somebody come to Christ and walking them through that. Because while sometimes when we say followers share what they know, we feel like it's a burden. This should be a joy. Sharing what Christ has done for us should be a joy. And you should be able to use your unique abilities, whether that's praying for somebody while you're driving a tractor, whether that's the measure of hospitality, whether that's flying on a plane as you travel with a coworker, whether it's helping to raise a bunch of rowdy kids. Amen? God wants to use you. So let's be open for that. I'm going to pray for that that God would place somebody on your mind that you can help have a gospel conversation for this next week. God, I thank you for who you're asking us to reach. God, give us the boldness and the certainty to do it in a way that is glorifying to you. God, help us to be excited about you so it's a natural outflowing of our life as we reach out and try to impact the world with just a single person this next week. Oh God, would you move? In your name we pray, amen. As we're continuing on our series today called Sincerely Paul, we're addressing an overview of some of the books that Paul wrote to the New Testament churches. And we're kind of giving it a broader scope today, a broader scope to this series, and trying to help you understand the whole context of a book so that when you study it more closely, you can understand why it was written. So today we're talking about the book of Philippians. And in the book of Philippians, Paul is addressing the people of, wait for it, Philippi. And the people of Philippi, he had reached in Acts chapter 16. So the story of the church planting is found in Acts chapter 16. And as he's writing this book, he's left the people of Philippi. The people of Philippi are having a lot of difficult times. There is a price to be paid for following Jesus in the town of Philippi. There's a, there's a price to be paid, and it's a struggle, and the, the people are against them, and, the, and Paul's encouraging them, stand firm. Don't let the circumstances of your life determine your faith with God. And so when he's writing Philippians, he's writing from a jail cell. He's writing shackled. 
And the church of Philippi hears that he's in jail, so they send Epaphroditus, and he brings them support, and he brings Paul some support, some money, because the jail didn't necessarily provide for food, so he's bringing them food. Epaphroditus almost dies, and, and Paul pins this letter to them saying, hey, I get it. I'm in bondage. Life is hard, but God is worth it all the time. And so in Philippians chapter 1, Paul is actually saying, you know what? Here's how much God is worth it. For me to die is gain, but for me to live is Christ. In other words, I recognize that this life is not really about this life, and that this, this tent that I'm living in, that we sometimes refer to as skin or an epidermis, right? This, this tent is just a temporary dwelling, but for me to die, one day I will stand before my God and my Savior, and I will have no more pain and no more suffering. There will be no more shackles of any kind, whether literal or figurative. Hope will cease to exist. Faith will cease to exist. Why? Because the fruition, the fulfillment of our faith will be fulfilled. There's no need to have faith when you have the perfect relationship with God. There's no need to have hope when there's no more problems, but rather love will reign in our life and we will be at peace. And that is the glory of God. And so he's saying, I recognize that this life will be a struggle. So stop trying to make this world your home. Stop trying to make this world your home. Do we ever do that? We try, to, we try to get a little too comfortable. We try to get a little too easy. And, and there's struggles and there are problems. And, and so we, we just go to the natural place where how can I set up this dysfunctional world and make it as functional as possible? And so we try to find a place to find peace. The problem with finding peace on our own is that it all, will always lead to more problems. But when you rest in the presence of God, that's where you will find joy in every circumstance. So last week we talked through the book of Galatians and the idea of, you know, freedom's not found in a set of religious laws. But rather, the laws that God gives us are like guardrails designed to keep us from going off the side of a mountain or, or running our car off a cliff. But the goal is not to live a life of perfect law-obeying. The goal of life is the presence of God Himself. And so as we chasing through that with the idea of Galatians of trying to find what it looks like to follow God as a whole of us. We find our joy and we find our peace there. and That's evidenced by the fruits of the Spirit. And we covered all of that last week. And next week, we're going to talk about how to do that more through the book of Colossians of having a mindset on Christ. But in Philippians, I, I teased this a little bit last week. In Philippians, he says, your best efforts are going to fall a little short. So how do we stay the course and find joy when this world is still going to be a struggle? We still need faith and we still need hope. How do we, how do we handle the adversity when the circumstances of life happen, when the cancer happens, when the divorce happens, when, when our kids are, well, being kids, right? How do we handle it when the, when the boss is not as nice as we want them to be or the spouse that we uh, married has changed? How do we handle and navigate the troubles of this world? In Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14, here's what he says. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect. Isn't that good news? Not, I don't have to be perfect. But I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, 
I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. I will not arrive in my faith. In fact, if I'm not continually learning, it probably means I'm regressing in my pilgrimage of faith. But as I chase after what it looks like to be in the presence of God, he says, you know what? You're going to have struggles. You know what? You're going to at times not arrive. You're going to have adversity. You're going to have problems. And he says, I am not perfect, but one thing I do is I'm going to keep going towards the goal of knowing Jesus because I will not let the circumstances of my life define me. In other words, it's easy to follow Jesus when life is good, right? It's easy to follow Jesus when the bank account is full, when the pandemic isn't happening, when the family gets along even for just a few seconds, when the marriage is stable. But when the circumstances of our life become, begin to unravel, when the struggles of this world happen, how are we progressing in our faith and how are we clinging to God? Are we trying to manufacture it on our own or are we trusting God? You see, when, when trials happen, psychology says that you will probably react in one of three ways if you aren't reacting in peace and joy. Let me cover these real quick. The first is worry. If you are having a difficult time in your life, a natural way that you can respond is through worry. You are my people. This is what I do. And worry is when you try to take the control of your life. You're trying to take the reins of your life because the circumstances of your life aren't going well. And so what you do is you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and you try to go through every possible scenario that could possibly happen in the world ahead of you. And you try to navigate it in such a way that you can align it to the place where you will prevent the chaos that you fear from happening, all the while creating chaos in your own life because you realize that all of those things could happen. And, I can speak to worry because I've done it, the warriors in the room, you sit there and you go, but if I don't worry, then I'm being lazy. Let me just, first of all, address that. If you are a natural, if it is your natural defense mechanism to worry, you will never be lazy. You're not going to be wired to be the one who says, oh no, I'm just going to sit on the chair and do nothing. You're not going to do that. But worry does not help you. So Paul in the prison cell could have been, oh no, how am I going to get out of this? And he goes, I don't know if I'm going to get out of this. I don't know if I am, but God be the glory. And so there's a resting there. So yes, we are to be active. We are to do what God has. But church, worry never leads to peace. You were never meant to worry. The second way that people sometimes react is through anger. And anger may not be manifest and to where everybody sees it, but you know you're an angry person with the people that you are closest to. There's a psychological term called kick the dog. Don't kick your dog. There's a psychological term that says kick the dog, and that's how you know it. It's the fact that someone in this world has been mad at you and made you mad. Someone's sin, someone's problems, some of the circumstances of this life, it may not even be someone's sin. It may be just the results of the happenstance of what's going on makes you angry. And so you're naturally geared up and wired up to take it out on someone, so you're going to take it out on those who know you best. And you might go, they say I'm not angry all the time. When they go like this, that's probably a good sign. 
When you, when you, they know if you're an angry person. And, and so well, let me encourage you, if you're an angry person, you don't have to live that way. The third psychological way that we handle circumstances that are out of line is what I call angst. And what I really mean by angst is deer in the headlights frozen. I don't know what to do. Where my warriors, right? If you're worried about money, you're going to go find four jobs, drive yourself nuts trying to pay your bills. My angst people, if you're like out of a job, you're like, I don't know what to do. So you just sit around and do nothing. Why isn't God providing? Well, you got to get up and do something, right? And so my angst people just, and so the way that angst manifests itself in a healthier way, but still not healthy, is you try to escape this world. How do I do that? By enveloping my mind by filling my life with a busy schedule. If I, I'm, I'm just all about my kids. No, you're trying to escape the world and you don't have to think. As long as you stay busy, you don't worry. How many vacations can I plan to escape the world? I, I, I could get through this week if I could just get to the weekend so that I don't have to do anything. You hear me? Angst is not a cure. It is an escape. And angst people often are more prone to addictions. Why? Because you're trying to escape the world. And so you run to this addiction hoping to find peace. And the reality is you're not ever escaping the world because the world is still here. We live in this world. So whether you're an angst person, a worry person, or an anger person, if you feel like your toes are stepped on, it's probably all of us because we all have those tendencies, at least one of them. Right? So how do we navigate that if I can't fully overcome my problems, and I'm not going to be perfect, how do I live in this world in such a way that glorifies God and allows God to do something through me? Well, the first thing you got to do is you got to recognize you and I could be the problem. I want to share a little story. My parents were here in the earlier service. I want to share a little story in honor of them. I don't remember the story, but I've heard it from my mom and my grandmother so much, it's as if I remember the story. Is that fair enough? When I was a really little boy, I grew up in Texas, in Dallas, and and one May rolled around, I was real little, and um, there was a huge storm coming through. If you live in May, every third day is like tornado sirens, okay? That's, that's where I grew up. And we were um, having a part of our yard that had gone bare, so my, my dad and my grandfather has saw the storm coming and thought it would be a brilliant idea to go put out the sod right before the storm was coming so that the storm could beat in the sod. And some of you don't care, but anyways. I'm sitting on the chair looking out the window, staring at them, putting all this thought out and doing it really quick because the tornado sirens are literally going off. That's how you also know you're a Texan. Tornado sirens are going off. Let's go outside, right? That's, uh, and so they're staring, I'm staring at them and my grandmother comes up there and she looks at my eyes and she sees the angst in my eyes, right? And she's like, Daniel, they're gonna be okay. And I look at Mimi, not her real name. And I look at Mimi and I say, Mimi, I'm not worried about them. I'm worried about myself. From the time we are born, the natural inclination is to worry about myself. And yes, I know that's not proper grammar. And some of the English teachers' hair is literally standing up on the back of their necks. But we are wired to be how can I preserve, make comfortable, make peace you can't the harder you try to find peace in this world on your own the more you're going to struggle with angst worry and anger so how do we do that 
Well, in the book of Philippians, Paul addresses this in chapter 2 when he says, we are to find our joy by imitating Christ. We are to have the attitude of Christ. We are to adopt the attitude of Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, in verses that are often read at Easter, we're going to break the Easter code today and read Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11 anyways, because it applies every day of our life. Here's what it says. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant and taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And I love those verses because it's describing the fact that one day you and I will all stand before Jesus. And whether or not you want to admit he's King and Lord right now, whether or not you want to give your life to him, whether or not you want to surrender your life to him, one day you will, because of the holiness of who God is and the imperfection of who you are, when you are engaging into that conversation with Jesus, for the first time in person. The Bible says your knee will bow. And you will realize Jesus is Lord. And Jesus did that for us despite us, not to spite us, right? See, if I, if I were probably in charge, I would probably go, you don't really care about me, I'm going to spite you. But Jesus didn't do that. We were separated from the holiness of God. We were separated from the presence of God, and God didn't leave us in our own demise. He instead made a way for us to come back into a right relationship with Jesus by accepting him as Jesus as Lord. That in and of itself is exciting, and I'm going to come back to that in just a second, but I want to dive a little deeper into verse 6 and 7 because I'm about to give you a theological opinion in other words, there are a few commentaries that disagree with this, but I strongly believe this, but there's a little room for disagreement here. I just want to be very clear. In verse 6, I believe, when he says that who exalted in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, this is a parallel of Paul looking back to what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. Because you see, Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, and they were made in the image of God. You and I are made in the image of God. And so what separates us from the, the birds or the rabbits or the trees or other living things that grow. What separates us is that you and I were made to have a relationship with God, okay? And when Adam and Eve were in the garden, they were made to have a relationship with God and they had a right relationship with God and all was good. But God made this tree in the middle of a garden and he told them not to eat it, the fruit of it. Don't eat the tree either, that'd be bad. But don't eat the fruit off of that tree. And that was the only condition. Do whatever you want. Don't eat of the fruit of that tree. But the serpent twisted the story. And the serpent tricked Adam and Eve and told them this. If you want to be like God, you can. Knowing good and evil. Just eat of that tree. God doesn't want you to eat of that tree because he, want, he knows you'll be like him. They were already like him. They were already in the image of God. And so what happened is they were like, well, I want to do, wait for it, what I want to do. 
And so they ate of that tree, and the serpent was right. Then all of a sudden, they knew the difference between good and evil. You see, before then, all they knew was good. And then now they knew the difference in good and evil. And once they ate and did what they wanted to, they knew evil. Evil exists because we choose to do what we want to do. And so God's doing this comparison, and he's saying, Jesus did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. He didn't sit there and go, ha ha, boom, 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 lightning strike all you all. He said, I made you in the image of me. And I'm not going to exploit this. But rather, I'm going to be humble and a servant. And so if you really chase this through, what you realize that is that humanity is the greatest paradox that the world has ever known. Because you see, you and I were made to be in a right relationship with God. You and I were made in the image of God. We were made above every other thing that walks on the place of the earth. Yet, humanity is the only beings on the planet that are walking on this planet, that are living and breathing on this planet, that do what they want against the will of God. In other words, your dog does not sin. That rabbit does not sin. Y'all, that cockroach does not sin. It's just annoying. We sin. So the, the crowning piece of all of creation, in contrast to what we're supposed to be, has chosen to go another way. Yet Jesus died for you and for me so that at the name of Jesus we can receive him into our life, have a right relationship, and find peace and joy, and all the promises of what we talked about last week in the book of Galatians. If you've never given your life to Jesus, please do. Realize that you will never find hope and joy by trying to do things on your own. But the joy that we have is to realize that God does not make junk, and you are not an accident. And no matter where you've been and what you've done, God looks down on you and he says, son or daughter, I love you. Come home to me. If you believe Jesus Lord and confess in your heart that he was raised from the dead and you surrender to him and say, I'm going to give the reins of my heart to Jesus, the reins of my life to Jesus, the reins of my mind to Jesus, then you can be saved. Now here's the cool part. Salvation isn't just a get out of jail free card that one day you get to spend eternity with heaven, but rather salvation starts here now. In other words, the moment Christ comes in your life and the Holy Spirit then dwells within you, God himself in the form of something we call the Holy Spirit comes into your life. Salvation then begins here and now so that you don't have to be living a miserable life when all the chaos of this world happens and the craziness of this world happens. You can learn as you're drawn into the presence of God to have more peace, more joy, more glimpses of what is to come in eternity. And this is the gift of God. This is the call of the journey of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Doesn't that sound good? I don't know about you, and I don't know where you've been, but this is a beautiful, beautiful scripture that compels us to realize that when we follow God, our joy is made. So how do we do that? Because we're not going to be perfect. Well, to remain focused on our purpose, we must have clear priorities. What's our clear priority? Is it a bunch of rules? No. That's why people don't want to come to church. Although there are rules. If you weren't here last week, let me say it again. Seldom will the law lead someone to Jesus, but Jesus will point you to the law. Why? Because you need guardrails in your life to keep you from going off the cliff. Okay? I'm not against the law. I'm not against rules. 
I like rules. But Jesus is the goal. And in this world, there will be distractions. There will be days when your spouse is not walking with God as much as you. And there will be days when you think you're walking with God, and he or she is not, and you're actually the one that's wrong. I know I've lived it. Amen. There will be days when it is hard to follow God. There will be days when you wake up in the circumstances of your life, that medical diagnosis, that job uncertainty, inflation, hello, right? And you're sitting here going, God, if you're good, where are you? And God's going, I'm still good. Just like Paul writing from a prison cell, the circumstances of my life don't have to define me. My joy is not found in what's going on. If you stay connected with Jesus and don't try to make this world too comfortable, hear me, take a vacation, right? Get that 32-inch TV, 39-inch TV. You don't need a 74-inch TV. Don't tell my wife I said that, okay? But as you're chasing after these ideas, realize your hope and your comfort isn't in the next purchase, vacation, trip, peace, or even lack of uh, conflict. Your purpose is in the presence of God. So Paul says in chapter 3, guess what? That's easy enough if you have clear priorities, but there's going to be problems. There's going to be people who try to distract you. There's going to be people even in the church who are hypocrites. There's two types of hypocrites in the church. You do know that, right? There's hypocrites who are just not perfect saints, but they really love Jesus, and at times they're going to sin. And they fall down, they repent, and they get back up. And there's hypocrites who manipulate the Bible who aren't saints, they're ain't, and they're not walking with Jesus. But they're in the church, and Paul says, watch out for them. Because they're manipulating the scripture, they're manipulating the word of God, they're manipulating the circumstances of your life, they're manipulating relationships, and they actually come to church for community to build themselves up, and these are dangerous people. And I don't think we have a ton of them here, I don't even know, I'm not going to give any names, because I would never do that, but we have to be careful of that. So in verse 7 of chapter 3, he says, but everything to me was gain. I've considered to be a loss for Christ Jesus. In other words, I am the one who's able to say I'm the expert. I'm the one who's able to say I'm the pastor of pastors. I'm the one who's able to say this is the way to go. But I don't, I don't use that for my own glory. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in the view of surpassing value. The idea of surpassing value is building value, gaining value. As you progress in your life, as you grow in your faith, as you mature in your faith, what happens is you begin to build on the value of knowing Jesus. And yes, you will fall and you will not always do this right. But as you're building this up, I find more value in what it looks like to chase after Jesus. Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung. Dung is the most appropriate word there that isn't an inappropriate word to read in church. But you can literally translate that in some other English words that your mama won't want you to say. In other words... I have suffered the loss and considered all of this stuff as rubbish, waste. So all my goals, all my, every attaboys, every compliment, every good thing, I, I, I'm no longer looking for the glory of me. I'm no longer trying to come up and whatever we're saying, preach for my glory so that you can recognize how holy I am. I'm no longer trying to be the greatest small group leader. I'm no longer trying to make the best pie for the hospitality team. I'm no longer whatever the case may be. My value is so that you might know the surpassing glory of what Christ has done for me because he is that good.
shackled in a prison cell, he writes this. So that I may gain Christ and be found in him. In other words, I recognize the more I make it about me, the less I'm actually chasing after Christ. And not having a righteousness on my own. In other words, I can't be holy enough. You can't earn your holiness. Holiness is not found in a trying to be holiness. Holy. Grammar is not, okay. Holiness is not found in trying to be holy. Holiness is found in the pursuit of the relationship with Jesus. The righteousness from God based on faith. My goal, do you get this? Here is Paul's goal. That's kind of an important thing. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. So our primary goal is to know Christ. So even as we share our faith, around here we say followers share with they. That is the subsidiary goal to the primary goal, which is followers follow, followers making followers of Jesus. But the first part of that is we are following Jesus. And out of the outpour of following Jesus, we will naturally begin to share what we know. As we chase after him, our primary goal is to know Christ. And as we know him, we are called to be more like him. So last week when we talked about Galatians and the idea of what a lot of times we do is we have our quiet times and we try to plug into God's word in the morning. We then unplug and try to carry enough power to get us through the day. And how we talked about how that actually isn't scriptural. That the goal isn't just to plug in and unplug, it's to take the power of God with us. So as we go through the day, when we get that bad news, when the kids aren't acting like we should, when we're not acting like we should, we are reminded that God is still here. Y'all don't seem to be as excited as I am about this. This is so exciting. God's presence is with you. In every circumstance, we just have to choose to make him our priority to know him more. And so we are called to understand the resurrection that we have experienced in our own lives because I'm a big, big believer that one of the biggest hindrances we have of actually following Christ is realizing that God loves us. Because there's something in your life that you're struggling with right now. And the enemy wants to convince you that God doesn't love you because of it. You know how I know? It's true for every one of us. Maybe when I talked about the anger, you have an anger problem, and you're like, how do I get better at this? Maybe it's an addiction. Oh, it's not an addiction. It's just a bad habit, right? Maybe it's, maybe it's a struggle of I don't feel at home here. I don't feel at peace. I don't have the right friendships or relationships. There's angst. There's worry. There's, it's manifesting in your life. You're sitting there going, okay, but if Jesus really knew, if God really knew, child, God loves you. Paul was a person who chased around people who were following the way and put them into prison, if not killed them. And he then got a hold, God got a hold of him, and he then became a pastor, a preacher, and the author of 13 books of the New Testament. Around here we call that going green spiritually. The belief that God wants to take the junk of your past and recycle it for the glory of his good. In other words, you don't need to hide from the shame of your past. What you need to do is you need to give it to Jesus. So we believe that if you were ever divorced, you might be the person who, after you walk through that, after you, whether the circumstances were caused by you or just the circumstances outside of your control, after you've walked through that process and wrestled with it with Jesus, you will then become the person who is best equipped to help other people going through similar circumstances. If you're a widow or a widower, you are the best person to help someone walk through that. If you are a person who has been fired, you are good at helping other people walk through 
people through that. If you had a horrible daddy growing up, as you come to peace, you can help other people go through that. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so as we turn over our life to God and find our peace in those circumstances, as we turn over our hearts to Christ and we say, Lord, here I am, use me however you want me to be used. As we trust him, as we know him, as we become more like him, we will surrender to him. And as we surrender to him, God shows up every time. That's how Paul can write from a prison cell. That's how. Now here's the hard part. We can resolve in our hearts, <clears throat> excuse me, in our minds that we're going to live for God. But guess what happens? We're still going to mess up. God is continually making us new. He's going to continue to, so knowing our resurrection, how God is going to revive us and revive us and revive us, realizing we will not arrive on this earth, so we still need faith, we still need hope. But when we rest in the love that Christ offers us, we will find the peace we need. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is the background. And so now, after you've heard all that, hear the power of these words again. Philippians 3.12. Not that I've already reached the goal of knowing Jesus, right? Or I'm already perfect. But I make every effort to take hold of it. Because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus right where you are. He is taking hold of you if you surrender to him. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. What is ahead? More and more of Jesus, more and more peace, more and more joy, more and more because I'm chasing after the presence of God. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. It's not having a life that I get to retire early and rest. It's a life that is lived for the glory of his renown. The older I get, and I realize some of you think I'm really old, and some of you think, young man, you have no idea. <laughs> There's some amens there. The older I get, the more I realize everything that isn't the pursuit of God is rubbish. You want your family to be at peace? Stop trying so hard to make peace. Chase after Jesus. You want your marriage to be better? You can't ever be good enough to win your spouse over. Chase after Jesus. You want to find hope in hopelessness? You can't manufacture hope. Chase after Jesus. And as the old hymn says, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glorious grace and faith. So here's our daily training. The challenge is to surrender your circumstances and focus on your future life in Christ. 
If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I encourage you to give your life to him. We're going to have some staff here at the, begin, at the end of the service and would love to talk to you about that. But church, I believe that God does miracles. And I'll tell you and testify to one. This last two days, I've barely been able to talk. My voice has been horrible. You can hear it a little bit now. And I fully expect that when I walk up the stage, I'm barely going to be able to speak again. But God shows up when we trust him. And I just want you to hear this from the bottom of my heart. Some of you expect me to get up and preach because I'm a pastor. And you may think, well, he's supposed to tell me all this. It's so true. <laughs> he is so good. You don't have to live in chaos and brokenness. Come to Jesus. Surrender. He's good. Father, to your glory and name, we pray. Father, I thank you for how you move and breathe, even here and now. God, help us to surrender. Help us to surrender to you. God, we pray that somebody in this room today surrenders their life to you for the first time. Give them the boldness to speak up. God, we pray for a burden for our world that we have a natural outflowing of what you're doing and we naturally share what we know. God, we pray for the circumstances, the unexpected bills to be miraculously paid in ways that we have to go, that was you. The unexpected cancer to disappear. God, we pray for marriages to heal. And God, we know that we can't do this on our own. So we trust you. We surrender to you. We give you everything. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.